A man showed up on a Thursday afternoon at the local Nazarene church in a, in a town, and uh, finding the pastor in his office, the man came in and said, Pastor, my dog died, and I'd like a Christian burial for him. And the pastor said, well, I'm sorry to hear about your dog, but we Nazarenes don't really do funerals for dogs. I mean, you might try the church down the street. I think they do most anything. The man sadly turned around and he said, I'm sorry that you won't do my dog's funeral and I understand and I'll try that other church, but, but you, would you tell me, I, I just don't quite know what's appropriate to, uh, to leave for a memorial uh, for the church that does the, the service. I was thinking, I mean, I was thinking around like $10,000 or something, I was going to do a memorial for, for the dog and the pastor said, well, wait a minute, you didn't tell me your dog was a Nazarene. Seems a little dicey talking about money at church, right? But this isn't a series about how to get more money from you to give to the church. Financial issues and our faith are so much bigger than just putting money in the offering. It's a discipleship issue. It's, it's about what it means to follow Jesus. When you, when you come to faith in Jesus, it changes your life, and, and usually we focus on, on a lot of the spiritual aspects of that, as we should, and we, we talk about lifestyle changes that, that that'll mean, and, and you'll steer away from sin, and you'll, you'll uh, head toward a, a holy life and allow the Holy Spirit to mold and change and shape you, and we don't always make the connection that, that when our entire life changes, so does what we do with what we have. And so in this series, as you see, we need to be right on the money. Last week we saw that, that following God really is a, a game changer. We change the rules that we live by. A life lived for God will be characterized by certain principles. And so we gave you uh, uh, four, four principles last week. Uh, uh, God owns everything. Uh, I can trust God. God blesses me with enough. And I am blessed to be a blessing. Not everybody lives by those principles. Not everybody follows those rules of the game, so to speak, like we talked about last week. But if you believe those principles deeply, it, it will affect many aspects of your life, especially your finances. If, if you truly believe that God owns everything and that you can trust him and that he blesses you with enough, uh, and, and because you're blessed, you, you, uh, you, will, uh, you will be a blessing to others. If, if those things are true in your life, then, then you will handle your money and your possessions differently than if those were those things were not true there, there are so many passages in scripture that, that deal with financial issues I, I think that's because money can have such a hold over us and and it can cause so many problems first Timothy 610 says for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs being right on the money can keep us on track with Jesus and can save us from what this calls many griefs. It, it, it can be such an emotional issue, right? It's an issue of pride or envy or just good old-fashioned greed and selfishness. Getting this wrong can have grave consequences, so we need to get it right. We, we need to be right on the money. And so I want to look at a, a couple of passages today that, that, uh, that, that will help us hopefully do just that. First Timothy chapter 6 verses 17 through 19 says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, 
to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they might take hold of the life that is truly life. And then Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21 uh, says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and, and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in that first passage in in Timothy, maybe when I I read that and you saw that up there, uh, you thought, okay, good, I'm off the hook. Because those verses are addressed to those who are rich in this present world, and I am uh, nothing uh, close to being rich, right? Uh, we usually compare ourselves to, to people that are up the ladder a notch or two in, our, uh, in finances, the economic ladder, so to speak, and so there's always more to go after. So I'm not, well, I'm not as rich as that. I'm not necessarily rich in this present world. Let's, let's look at things from a global perspective, perhaps, or, or, and then maybe a historical perspective, too. Man, many of the, the poorest people in our country would actually be considered rich in many other parts of the world. Uh, from what I've read, even if you make like $10,000 a year, uh, that's, you're literally richer than 70% of the rest of the world. But, but income aside, uh, Jesus is, is uh, uh, speaking here in this Matthew principle and, uh, uh, passage, and, and Paul is, is speaking in the, in the passage in Timothy, and, and they're addressing the people in the culture of the day, and so their, their, uh, their, their audience, even the richest people in their audience, would, would never ride in a car or turn on an electric light or have access to antibiotics or fly in an airplane, or mow a lawn, or send an email, or have a surgery, or flush a toilet, or scroll their social media feed, or play Candy Crush, or, uh, or have any concept of what a memory foam mattress was, right? I mean, uh, Paul still addressed them, though, as those who are rich in this present world. So if, if there were still folks in his, in his audience there that were rich, in, in this present world, then, I, I mean, what are we, right? We, we can't really slough off these instructions as not applying to us. We're, we're pretty rich, so we should pay attention if we want to be right on the money. So here's the first thing. Verse 17 in, in that Timothy passage says that we need to put our hope in God. Right? Put your hope in God. There has never been a truer statement than the first line of, of 1 Timothy 6.17. Don't put your hope in wealth which is so uncertain. Uh, we can relate to that. We know that's true. The stock market goes up and down. The economy rises and falls. Gas prices jump. Interest rates get hiked. Eggs are what? 50 bucks a dozen? We know. We, we, having security in the area of our finances is is pretty difficult to find, right? I mean, wealth is so uncertain. The Bible says it right there, and we know it's true. I mean, uh, the Bible hits the nail on the head time and time. You should, I mean, you should read it sometime. There's there's some truth there, right? You, you, we, we should we should spend some time there. So the first question to ask is, well, where is my hope, really? What am I am I really? Putting my hope in God or, or is my hope in, in the finances and the things that I, things that I have? I mean, it's so easy to do, uh, even in the volatile environment where we find ourselves today. I mean, especially if, if things were tight for you growing up or, or if you've lived through lean times or, uh, I mean, getting a little wealth can seem exactly the answer. This is the answer. Now I can, now I can relax. Now I can take it easy. My hope is in 
the, uh, the, what I've accumulated. And certainly, uh, there are responsible ways to handle our finances, and we should be saving and investing wisely and all of those things. But the question is, where does your security lie? Is, is that where your hope is? Or is your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything we need? Remember, God blesses us with enough. Ran across a list of several quotes this week from uh, uh, from those in in the past uh, who have in our country who have been uber wealthy. Uh, Vanderbilt once said, "The care of two hundred million dollars is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it." John Jacob Astor said, "I am the most miserable man on earth." Uh, John D. Rockefeller, "I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness." Andrew Carnegie, "Millionaires seldom smile." Henry Ford, "I was happier when doing a mechanic's job." Being rich in this world might not necessarily be all it's cracked up to be. It is possible to be rich in the world and poor in eternity. It's, it's like those rules of the game that, that we talked about last week. Uh, many people are playing the game of life and, and investing in things that are temporary. And when the game is over, it all goes back in the box and the game goes back on the shelf and we get to, to uh, get back to living life that's really like. In other words, if we're living just for this life, it's like we're just pretending to be rich. Several years ago, maybe you saw this in the news, it's been, been several years now, but there was a man um, who occupied a 7,500 square foot mansion in Boca Raton for several months. The property had sat vacant and he moved in illegally and uh, uh, Florida has an adverse p- possession uh, law that says if someone, uh, someone can actually claim ownership of a property if they live there for seven years and they pay the taxes, uh, then, uh, then they can actually like take over and, uh, and it's theirs after that time. But it, it didn't work for this guy. Uh, they, uh, they, they had to forcibly evict him, but all through the trial and all the things, he's still living there. He, he was in there for several months, then they, they, uh, they, they sued him for it and, and many more months as his trial went on and he's living like a king in this big mansion. But he was just pretending to be rich because in the end, it didn't last. Those who are putting their hope in their wealth and not preparing for eternity might be a lot like that guy, living a pretend life. Wealth in this world is temporary, so we need to put our hope in God. That's, that's the first thing that I, that, that I pull out of these passages. The second is that, it, that we need to enjoy what God provides. It's in verse 17 there in, in the Timothy passage, and, and, and initially we hear that and we go, wait a minute, is that okay? Am I allowed to enjoy myself in this life? I mean, it doesn't sound, uh, sound all that holy. It, it seems a lot more holier if I uh, live in poverty and I give everything away, right? Well, not necessarily. This says that God gives us everything for our enjoyment, Being right on the money doesn't necessarily mean that we're going without everything because uh, remember, we we said that God blesses us with enough. We, We have enough and we can enjoy those blessings, but you have to have your priorities straight and you have to put him first and you have to hold those earthly things loosely because right after he says that this stuff is for us to enjoy, he also then says that we need to be generous with what God provides. Verses 18 and 19 tell us all about that. Uh, we're blessed to be a blessing. We said it last week. And, and although it may not appear on the surface, uh, being generous is actually smart investing. Giving to others is what the Bible calls storing up treasure in heaven. 
There's a story about a man who died and went to heaven and he was met at the pearly gates by St. Peter who led him down the golden streets and they passed stately homes and beautiful mansions until they came to the end of the street where they stopped in front of a ramshackle cabin and Peter handed him a key and the man asked, well, why do I get a cabin when there are so many beautiful mansions around here? And St. Peter replied, sir, we did the best with the money you sent us. Uh, that's not quite how it works, right? Uh, but both of these passage, passages uh, tell us about storing up treasure in heaven, about laying up treasure as a foundation for the age to come. Now, obviously, heaven doesn't have a Venmo account, and you can't send a check to God addressed at the, uh, the, the pearly gates. So, so how do we store up treasure in heaven? Well, well, we invest in things that don't get packed up when the game is over. We, we give to things that are eternal. Our, our family loves a good estate sale. We, uh, uh, we, we've found some great deals uh, going to estate sales from time to time. And, and, uh, and <laughs> I remember uh, uh, Nick gets a kick. Usually one of the first places he goes to is the pantry. Because believe it or not, uh, these places not only have all the pots and pans out and all the things, but they usually have some food that's been left over. And um, the non-perishable food, uh, but um, he, he gets a kick out of looking at the dates. And I'm pretty sure that the can of SpaghettiOs that we found with an expiration date of 2012 was maybe didn't qualify as non-perishable, right? I'm, uh, we, didn't, we didn't pick that up. Uh, we've, we've gotten some good deals at those things. Maybe you enjoy going to those things, but I don't know. I, I still have, it's kind of sobering walking in that door, right? And everything that somebody or a couple of somebodies had invested in over the years is now laying out for, for us, you know, the unclean public, right, to, uh, to walk through and to pilfer through and to, uh, to figure out what we want to get for pennies on the dollar. When life is over, there's not much that we've invested in that's, that's going to last. So these scriptures say, well, we need to be investing in things that, that, that will last. But, but the list of things that are eternal is a pretty short list. I mean, God is eternal, right? So, so he's on the list. He got, uh, scripture says that God always has been and always will be. Uh, God's word, the Bible, lasts forever. Uh, Isaiah 4, 8 says the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So God is eternal and God's word is eternal. Good deeds done in Jesus' name uh, uh, have eternal significance. Uh, Jesus told a story in Matthew 25 about people being rewarded uh, in eternity based on the good that they have done to alleviate suffering uh, in this life. And, and Matthew 25, 40 says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. So, so good deeds done in Jesus' name are, are, uh, are, have eternal significance. And, and then our souls, our souls have, have eternal significance. The Bible indicates that, that people will spend eternity somewhere, right? Either, either in heaven with God or separated from him. People's souls last forever. Uh, God, God's word, good deeds, souls, I think that's about it. I, I told you it was a short list, right? So if you're laying up treasure in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age, if you're, if you're going to invest in uh, treasure in heaven, then, then you'll spend your time and effort and money on things that will invest in people, alleviating suffering and helping them encounter God and his word. 
You're going to invest in people. You're going to invest in those souls that are eternal. You're going to alleviate suffering in Jesus' name, and you're going to help them encounter God and encounter the truths of his word. I mean, that could include a whole lot of things. You might serve in a soup kitchen or, or, or give to a church or, or sponsor a child or, or do mission work or, or uh, go on a mission trip or, or you'll, you'll support God-honoring ministry. I mean, the, there's tons of great places that you can do that, investing your time and effort and money in things that have eternal significance. That is what it means to store up treasure in heaven. Now, the primary place where Jesus' followers do that is right here in your local church. We just distributed the, uh, the annual giving statements to you uh, for your taxes. And I don't know if you read through that or not, uh, but uh, uh, if you do, you'll see that the IRS makes us put a little line at the bottom of those, those statements. It's, it's a little disclaimer. And it says this, Donor did not receive any goods or services for above contributions other than intangible religious benefits. I hope that our church is in the business of giving all sorts of people intangible religious benefits. Uh, uh, If you are receiving spiritual blessing from your church, if you think that we're making an eternal difference in people's lives, then you'll be consistently giving right here. It's your number one way to store up treasure in heaven. I, I, this is all very practical stuff. I mean, we're tempted at times to go, oh yeah, I know that. But then when it comes to paying the bills, it doesn't necessarily translate. But, 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 but really being right on the money is, is going to affect your budget. It, it's, it's very practical. I heard the story of a pastor of a small church in a farming community who, who called on every member of the congregation right around the, uh, the annual pledge campaign. And he, he kind of wanted to, uh, to lay out uh, the importance of, of giving to the church. And, and uh, he was always nervous about going to Farmer Brown's house because Farmer Brown was, was known to be very frugal and tight-fisted with his finances and it hadn't really gone well in the past. And, and so the pa- pastor thought he might, he might use a different approach this year. And, and so, so he got there and, you know, they went through the, the pleasant trees and all that but uh then then the, the the pastor got down to business and he said he said farmer brown just let me ask you this if if you had two tractors would you be willing to sell one and give the proceeds to the church and the par- farmer said well why why yes pastor certainly if if i had two tractors i would gladly sell one and give the money to the church the pastor said, oh, that's, that's great to hear, that's great to hear. Farmer Brown, let me, let me, let me ask you, if, if you inherited a large sum of money, would you consider giving 10% of that inheritance to the church? And the farmer, showing his most pious face, said, why, certainly, pastor, if, if, if I inherited a large sum of money, I would no doubt, I, I mean, I'd be willing to give 20% of that uh, to, the, to the church, I, if, if that was ever to happen, I'm not necessarily sure that it will, but if, if that was to happen. The pastor then pushed the point a little bit further and he said, now Farmer Brown, if you had two pigs, and at that point, uh, Farmer Brown interrupted and said, now wait just a minute here, preacher, you know darn well I have two pigs. 
This is very practical. It gets, it gets right to the bottom line. It, it, it actually affects, we can't just keep it in the hypothetical. If we're going to be right on the money, we're going to be arranging our budgets in such a way that we're storing up treasure in heaven. We're planning ahead to invest in eternal things. We're laying up uh, a treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age. Being right on the money means that our hope is in God. We, we enjoy what he provides and we generously invest in things that are eternal. Now, th- this, is, this is not about the church or some ministry uh, or God wanting your money. Jesus tells us in the, in the last line of this passage in Matthew 6 uh, the key reason why this is so important. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your heart follows your treasure. And I think that makes sense to us. I, if you invest in a certain stock, you're going to be checking that stock to see if it's up or down. Your heart is there, right? You you have a what we call a vested interest in that doing well. If you if you buy a new car, you're going to be thinking about how how to keep it clean and 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 safe and and running well. I mean, your your, your heart is there. If you give to support a ministry in in Swaziland, then uh, then you're going to pay attention to what's going on in Swaziland, right? Uh, your your heart is there. I mean, you get it. Our hearts follow what we treasure. So so here's the point, and maybe the most important point of this entire series. I don't want you to miss it. Here's the point. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. It isn't about the money. God is not interested in donors for his kingdom. If he needed your money, he'd take it. (laughs) I'm pretty sure the God of the universe could probably pull that off if he wanted to. God doesn't want donors, he wants disciples who are wholeheartedly committed to him. And that includes what we do with what we have. That includes being right on the money. I, I don't know where you are with all this stuff. I mean, talking about money and, oh, you come in and you saw the pig and, oh, yeah, we're in that series. I guess we'll sit through this. I'm already here, right? Or, uh, uh, but... Hopefully you haven't tuned me out by now. Hopefully you're not offended. Or maybe you're sitting there overwhelmed going, oh, I know we're at my list of bills and he's saying I need to do this and, and I'm just kind of overwhelmed with all of this and it's just, I, I, I like what Dr. Stan Toller wrote in, uh, in one of his books about all of this. Uh, I think it puts it in great perspective. He says this, when you go to the doctor for a checkup, he'll usually poke and prod and press certain places and asks, does this hurt? How about here? And if you cry out in pain, one of two things has happened. Either the doctor has pushed too hard, or more likely there's something wrong, and the doctor will say, we'd better do some more tests. It's not supposed to hurt there. So it is when pastors preach on financial responsibility and certain members cry out in discomfort, criticizing the message. Either the pastor has pushed too hard, or maybe there's something wrong. In that case, I say, my friend... We are in need of the great physician because it's not supposed to hurt there. If it hurts to be generous, then something is wrong. Generosity is not a painful thing. It is a delightful experience. When you are truly in tune with God, the natural response of your heart will be to give. I don't know, I don't know if it hurts today. I hope I haven't pushed too hard. Uh, instead, I hope that you'll put your hope in God. And you'll enjoy what he provides. And you'll be generous 
as you store up treasure in heaven, supporting and giving to things that are eternal. Because God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Your heart.